people aren't joiners. I mean, we're not the only association that are having challenges, mm -hmm. and mainly because um, information is power, and information is part of the benefit of becoming a member. But a lot of information is out there for free. Yeah. So you're saying like, uh, right, like the culture now is, are not joiners in general. Is yes. that what you mean? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, and it's also then from the recruitment side, um, figuring out what's going to resonate and reach that prospective member and, and, and what's going to activate them in joining. Welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great discussion with Curtis Ono, who practices in Washington and is running for the AOA Board of Trustees. And we talked about uh, you know, his passion within optometry for a long time really has been membership. He's been chair of the membership committee from on the AOA from about 2012 through this year. And um, we had a good discussion about what he sees as challenges and opportunities within membership within our organizations. And I think we can take that back, obviously, locally, not just our not just the American Optometric Association, but also our, our state affiliates. And then even thinking thinking about how people interact with us as practice owners and, and the changing dynamics of, of different generations. So I thought it was a, a really fun discussion and I hope you enjoy it. As always, subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review with actually comments are always beneficial so that people who are looking for a new podcast um, can see your comments and decide whether or not they want to give us a listen. And as always, support those who support us. Yes, and uh, uh, probably at that time in OPW or the optometric positions of Washington leadership. Okay, because I was right in the fray during uh, kind of key moments, and that was uh, board certification. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yes. So that that would make sense. Yes. What were your thoughts about that? Well, you, you know, know, so the reason I bring that up mm -hmm. is that you know there's um, commonly, and actually Terry and I talked about this on the podcast mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, is that. Um, there's this idea that, you know, people will ask like, what's the value of the AOA? Mm -hmm. And then the immediately thing is like, I was an AOA member mm -hmm. until board certification or, or like I would never be an AOA member because of board certification. And mm -hmm. the question I always ask is like, well, were you a member before board certification? Right. Right. right? So, so like, what was your thought on it at the time? What's mm -hmm. your thought on it at this point? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that was one of like a key pivotal, pivotal moments with, uh, serving and the leadership in OPW. And uh, the reason is, is that we came in or I came in with really no knowledge and no real experience in the subject of board certification. However, um, it was a hot topic. And in order to do due diligence, to listen to my constituents, which is, you know, the members in Washington, um, we wanted to have an open process of listening, listening to members in any way whether it be emails or whether it be text messages and or whether it be town halls. So yeah. we did town halls. We had 13 of them wow. throughout the state of Washington. And I will say those were the most dynamic and well-attended um, meetings that we've ever had. Yeah. And in fact, during the middle of that process, um, it's like, well, why can't we gather like this? 
for other reasons, whether it be for advocacy or whether it be for membership or public awareness or anything else because it was just so well attended. Do you think it was so well attended because the issue is such a hot yes. topic? Yes. So yes. how do you generate that same sort of um, urgency in other issues? Well, I think um, in this case, um, it was because it was polarizing. You yeah. know, people had strong opinions both ways. And those people with strong opinions both ways wanted to convince the other side or people in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much like politics, mm -hmm. I think, you know. Um, so we certainly had um, positioned it as being an open forum. We're not coming in with an agenda. It was made up of, of four of us. Um, Brett Bentz, who um, yep. is a previous president and was Academy president, as you might know. Was he, he was he was Academy president after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Much after yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jim DeVleming, who's uh -huh. now on the board, and Dave Hayes, who was right behind me in leadership in OBW. And so we sat down, kind of devised a schedule, um, divided and conquered. It was uh, teams of two, um, broadcasted it out there. Mm. And gosh darn it, people showed up and people showed up on both sides, which yeah. is good because I heard in other states there were a lot of people who might have felt strongly against it and were just lobbying lob over over the hedge, you know, just um, um, negative comments. And that's not what we wanted. We right. wanted to make sure that we are developing a position and we really wanted to know from membership what people's feelings were. And it was, you know, it was pretty, uh, you know, again, pretty dynamic. And mm -hmm. um, at the very end of the day, we did decide to endorse um, board certification in the House of Delegates. But it wasn't without a process, at least. Yeah. And it wasn't without having our members know that they were going to be heard. Um, so a little bit of a story, and that is the number one, you know, because there's always going to be one person right. who really feels very strongly against, in this case, um, followed me everywhere, you know, mm. in every single one of wow. those town halls, he followed me, but he's a very thoughtful guy and he did research. Um, and at the very end, at the, at the last town hall, he flip-flopped. He, really? he, he He changed his mind. Why do you think that happened? Well, he did research. I mean, he did research in finding out that optometry was the only doctorate-level prescribing prof uh, uh, a profession without a board certification process. He found out at that time um, that Medicare was looking at this as a way of um, certifying and, and paying providers. Um, he kind of learned the fact that how can it be bad for the profession and not really the board certification part, but really that commitment to continued competence and continued yeah. learning, you know, which is that um, which is very important ingredient on on that, too, is the recertification and the continued certification if you're ABO certified. Yeah. 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 I think um, the one thing I always think about is. You know, we're now, yeah, I guess it was 2009 or so, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, the process was developed in 2007 mm -hmm. through 2009. And mm -hmm. when, um, you know, at that time, we didn't, you were right, we didn't have any idea what was going to come down the pipe mm -hmm. and whether or not this was going to be important. But 
and in hindsight, I think you could say, well, whether it, is it important, wasn't it important? But if it was more important, right, if it was a critical piece that our profession would have had to have and we didn't have that as an option, um, I think that would have been a, a pretty big deal. And I think you would have seen a lot of people um, that would have been as upset or more upset that we hadn't done something preventatively, right, or proactively as a profession. Right. Well, and I get down to a more um, kind of individual level, and that is, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to have to take another test. Sure. No, I don't want to have to, to study. At the very end of the day, though, how can it be bad for you as an individual provider and in cracking the books again? Um, and again, that continued learning piece. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was really pushing myself to relearn stuff that I have not learned in 20, 25 <laughs> years. And how, how, can, how, how can that be bad? Yeah. You know, I, it, it's not. And, you know, the, the continued, continued certification or the continued learning has just been, I think, beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, doing the PPMs and et cetera. Um, at least if you do that, bring one thing back from that experience back to your practice. And I really found that to be good. It, it forces you to. Yeah. Um, again, no, I didn't want to have to take another test for God's sake. I, you know, get nervous taking a driver's license <laughs> test, you know, but it, it really was something that I thought was beneficial yeah. um, to me as a provider. You know, I think I've probably talked to hundreds, if not thousands of doctors who have prepared for, for boards and, um, and they've said the same thing. I mean, everybody I've talked to has said, you know, you know, it was worth my time. Like if nothing else, if it never gets me anything else, like quote unquote gets me something, they've always said exactly what you said is that it was really beneficial to go back and relearn things, restudy things, and it, it's made them better providers, better practitioners. And I feel especially close to you because <laughs> you're in my my room on the KMK course. Right. You know, you're right there. I'm looking at you. I'm listening to you. So I, I feel a special affinity to, yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, Curtis, it's been fun because, you know, as I've grown in the profession, um, I like to see kind of the constant faces in leadership and, and the constant faces of people that have kind of encouraged me along. Uh, and you were certainly one of those. And, um, and it's been fun to kind of see you, you know, at different meetings and catch up with you. And, um, anyway, I, I always really appreciate that. It's kind of the, the beauty of our profession is that it is, it, it is, um, it's so small essentially. Right. Um, so, so then what are your thoughts about, um, I guess in general, when you think about, so then you were, you went from leadership into, were you at the same time? Were you in the, um, in membership uh while you were in leadership of the um of the what's the the optometric physician association of washington yes right. of washington we were right i mean i you know i started my career in minnesota actually hmm. i you know graduated from uh um indiana um, i'm sorry i graduated <laughs> high school in the chicagoland area in highland park uh, my spouse, uh, she graduated also from Indiana, but went to a master's degree in hospital administration at the University of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's where I started life. And uh, immediately, like Minnesota, the the, the uh, optometric, uh, the uh, Minnesota Optometric Association is so good about getting you uh, if you're, you know, and yeah. so they activated me. And um, so I co-founded the Vision USA project. It was called the Minnesota Vision Project. Hmm. 
um, with another with another uh, volunteer there, and also I was active in their um, legislative um, efforts. Um, this is going to age me, but it's <laughs> during their TPA fight. So I was their uh, Metro Legislative Coordinator. So they got me right away yep. and welcomed me, and um, I enjoyed the camaraderie. Um, but not being from Minnesota, um, I uh, moved to Washington State, which is where my spouse's parents are. Okay. And, of course, I thought, wow, this is going to be a good way in taking a sabbatical. You know, I'm just going to quietly slip in uh, to life in yeah. Washington. but. Like another good uh, affiliate, you know, they got me right away finding out that I had some experience in the area of advocacy and was uh, going actually down the advocacy track. I became the co-chair of the legislative committee and, um, you know, doing a lot of grassroots stuff that I was doing in Minnesota. Um, so I was very much a part of that. But as you know, um, Life and volunteer life takes us on different paths, and there's a, definitely a journey to that. And I was mentored by someone that was very near and dear to me, Joe Sifferman, hmm. who was the membership chair uh, for Washington, and said, you know, why don't you come over and oh, over to membership? Yeah. And so I was mentored by him, and then it was the chair of that um, of the um, uh, Washington's membership committee for seven or eight okay. years or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then uh, then I got appointed on to the AOA committee. It was called the Practice Modalities Committee, really looking at member benefits from the practice modality side, and then went on to the general membership committee. And then I have been chair of the membership development committee at AOA since 2012. Okay. And then, so what do you think, if you had to see, think about like the, the biggest issues as far as membership is, is concerned right now, what, what, what are the things that you're working toward? What are the things that you see um, are preventing more people from becoming members? You know, what do we do about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's a very complex question. And the reason is, is that people aren't joiners. I mean, we're not the only association that are having challenges, mm -hmm. and mainly because um, information is power, and information is part of the benefit of becoming a member. But a lot of information is out there for free. Yeah, so you're saying, like, uh, right, like the culture now is, are not joiners in general. Is yes. that what you mean? Uh, yes, yes. Um, and... It's also then from the recruitment side, um, figuring out what's going to resonate and reach that prospective member and, and, and what's going to activate them in joining. You right. know? So that's the recruitment side. Um, and we have been struggling with that for quite a while. Um, just as recently as three, four years ago, the recruitment side and retention too, but the recruitment side has always been at the affiliate level. Mm -hmm. um, it's the states and the affiliates that are responsible for developing programs to recruit right. members. Right. Um, and then when we did this study of what they're doing, we're looking at their print materials, and it's all over the place. Mm. You know, it's some are professionally done, some are not. Some, you know, and they they didn't really have a cohesive message a cohesive look um and that's really where we then gently suggested to affiliates um that maybe we should do something more in partnership and more um 
um, have it be more effective by utilizing um, a brand mm -hmm. and a common look and doing surveys and figuring it out that way. And that's really where the United Impossibilities effort all started. Yeah. And this was four years ago when we did data collection, surveying members and non-members, and astoundingly, but not so, <laughs> the uh, non-members and members want the same thing. You know, they yeah. just want exactly the same thing. Advocacy, they want clinical resources to be better providers. They want continuing education that really underlies that clinical resource. And then they really feel that public awareness is, piece is important. And of course, no surprise, non-members or prospective members, as we say, felt that AOA wasn't doing such a good job in many of those areas. You're much nicer than I am. I'd call, I call, I just call them non-dues. <laughs> yeah, right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, the reality is, is that's the real challenge is that like advocacy, for example, mm -hmm. um, that is that is a benefit that's realized by everybody, whether you pay dues or don't pay dues, mm -hmm. uh, whether you're a member or not a member. So. Um, and same thing with like our clinical practice guidelines. I think those are available to anybody. You can just Google them. Um, and so, um, so then it's kind of like, how do you, how do you take those people who aren't saying, seeing the value and, and showing them? And that's, and that's sort of what that campaign has done. So can you talk a little bit more about, um, the, the campaign to try to get those surveys and get that data and then how it's transforming your, the ability to be more effective at bringing, bringing uh, non-members in. Yes, I can do this actually in my sleep. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, again, those are the four pillars, the um, advocacy portion, the clinical resources, the CE, and the, and the public awareness. Uh, but what we weren't doing a good job, and in the eyes of non-members, uh, were in all of those things, but we weren't also letting them know either. We weren't letting right. the prospective or non-member know what we are doing. Um, and you do have to let them know in order to know, have them know what, what they're missing. We also found out that, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, pull in recruiting someone who's been 15 years out or 20 years out. They're done. They're done. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, kind of joke that they're dead to us, but it's not true. No, you know, I know they, that. They, will, they, yeah. they may, if they have some sort of uh, change, for instance, in you know, their career, but it's really those that have been out less than 10 years that are most open to uh, becoming a member or rejoining. Hmm. So that demographic, we just definitely called millennials. And so those are from one to 10 years out of school. And then we wanted to see, well, what will move them and, uh, and what moves all of us as consumers. Um, yeah. It's digital marketing. It's uh, the good old state-of-the-art um, marketing and advertising techniques. So that's what we um, really viewed this campaign as in setting the tone in people's minds, a positive attitude. And that is going to be um, you know, marketing, pure marketing. Hmm. Um, and it's digital media buys. It's hmm. um, email blast, personalized email blasts. It's uh, direct mail. Direct mail still does work. Sponsorship um, of podcasts. Po sponsorship of podcasts, <laughs> right? Yeah, I can uh, guarantee that, right? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and sleuthing. It's, it's having identify those prospective members and it is tracking them. So we have a tracking mechanism hmm. of how much they've interacted in our, um, in our 
advertising in essence. Interesting. And so if they've opened up an email, we know that. Hmm. They get a certain point number if they do that. If they take advantage of a content offer, whether it be a discount to a optometrist meeting or a discount into something or a corporate affiliated guidebook that we have is another um, offer. Hmm. Um, financial surveys, which has been resonating really, really well, then they get certain points. If they visited the AOA website, they also get points or attend a meeting for instance. Yeah. When you say, so when you say financial surveys, yeah. what do you mean? They actually fill those in that, that information? No, out? there's a survey that's done, um, through AOA, um, through our members. Um, and it's a survey that's released once a year mm -hmm. through the, um, research and information center that Jennifer Spangler mm -hmm. directs. And that comes out every year. And it also is, um, divided in, um, employed versus, um, versus uh, um, self-employed and regions. And that was the number one content offer mm. that really resonated with people mm. um, because people want to know what other people are making and yeah. what they're expecting to make on how to pay their bills and how to pay their student loans when they get out. Yeah. So it really resonated um, quite a bit. So yeah. we did that as an offer. Um, so we're sleuthing, we're keeping track of who might be interacting with a campaign. Um, and it goes back to the old, you know, fuller brush, you know, mentality. And that is if somebody's bought a brush before, they're probably going to buy another brush later on. And so if they interacted with a campaign, they may be more open to joining than, yeah. than anybody else. So we come, we have that. And then we combine that with, um, you know, a good old fashioned one-on-one -on -one personal uh, method. So each of our affiliates that are partners with us have a young advocate group that they arrange and um, and develop young OD uh, events. And all those are social. Yep. It's nothing about guilting them into it. So we're not, in other words, cornering them and say, well, you, you, you know, you <laughs> non-paying, right. um, you right. know, a slime right. person. We're, we're all keeping it very positive. Um, and then now, actually during the last quarter of each year we are popping the question mm -hmm. and popping the question is they have a positive attitude of AOA and the affiliates we've uh, we got to know them on a personal level through the younger D events we chatted them up we you know wanted to we shared drinks together right but now like any relationship it's time to go to the next level and that next level is is membership and so we're having the young advocates in the states directly reach out to them and ask them to be members. And by far, that's been oh, the most yeah. fruitful time. Yeah. You know, if you can have positive attitude, interaction, and then popping the question. From somebody you know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that, the personal yes. invitation is yes. huge. Yeah. So we did a pilot project um, in 2017, I guess. And that was uh, Minnesota and Georgia. They had over a 10% return mm. on conversion of those prospective members. Interesting. And then last year, we partnered with 34 affiliates, and we had a 9.4% conversion, 8% uh -huh. is our goal. And then this year, 2019, we're running right at about 6% to date, and we're hoping that um, by the end of the year, we reach 8% or more. Understand that it gets harder and harder each year because um, you're not even, just trying to get the the next year out. You're exactly, getting everybody. Exactly. And you've we, already gone to them. Yes, we have 
taken people out who go into the 11th year. Right. We added some people on, but 80% of them are people that we've already targeted already. Right. So it gets harder and harder. So we're enthused and, and actually happy that we're reaching the above 8% level yeah. because, again, many of them have already been reached out to. So we're, yeah. we're, we're happy about that. So let's take it back a little bit because you said that based on the surveys of members and non-members, they really both want the same things. Mm -hmm. So what is it that is pre has prevented then? What's the difference between them that makes some people members and some people not members? Like, can you, can you tease out the data there or is it just purely based on the fact that um, I want the same thing, but I was, I was in school, it, it was beaten into me. Everybody I respected in school was a member, so I'm just going to be a member, right? Is that the difference? Yeah, you know, I, it, 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 the more I get into this, the more that I realize that um, everybody's story is, is different. Mm -hmm. um, so I hear, for instance, that they get out of school, they're busy, yeah. um, life takes over, they get a job, they might have a life change, they may get married. They may leave or move. You know, they're busy. You know, people are really, and you don't know how it is to be busy, right? No. But, no. <laughs> but, but it's busy. And so they are just wanting to get through the day. Yeah. And if their membership la lapsed, that's, you know, that's going to be secondary. It's right. not going to be on their radar. Right. Um, and then they kind of settle down and then they start thinking a little bit more. You know, things, the dust is settling and then they kind of think about it. So I think there's a little bit of a delay in membership. Now, they're all a member and they all become, a, they all are a member as a, as a student. But again, they let their membership la uh, lapse and then again, life takes over. Yeah. And I think that's where we can come in with programs when they dust settles again and they're right. starting to think about something a little bit more. They have a little bit more time and a little bit more energy because our uh, research has shown that of the people that join, 42% have been out for less for more than five years. Really? So yes, and 70% and so are, are women. Yeah. So then why, why, so what's this, why is it so hard to, you know, so you get out of school and when I was in, in school, it was a big thing to transition your membership from AOA, AOSA mm -hmm. to AOA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, you're saying that that's not really the, the where you're, if you're going to lose somebody, you're going to lose them pretty quickly right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's what's that? What's up with that? Well, I think before it was a problem because when um, we would always tell that student that you're an AOA member, you're an AOA right. member, right? We drill that, drill that into their head. They graduate and then um, they have to almost rejoin they have to contact yeah. their affiliate yes. fill out an application is that different now or case. still that is different now okay um, explain it now so two years ago we had a change in the bylaws where it's an automatic transitioning of membership so if you were an aosa member which is an affiliate of the aoa so the american optometric student mm -hmm. association uh, you are an aoa member when you graduate we automatically transition your membership and we automatically transition your membership to the affiliate or state that you have identified being your number one choice that you're going to be practicing in. Okay. Now that can change, and sure. we know that that changes, but we give them the opportunity um, from day one that they became become a, a student member that they can identify with a state, knowing that that's going to change depending upon you know jobs and depending upon relationships and um, um, 
and residency, uh, residencies or uh, rotations, you know, all those things that are going to change that state that they affiliate with. But at the very end of the day, we, at the very uh, last three months uh, before they graduate, we really bug them. Now, remember, you need to look at it and mm-hmm. change it if you need to and update it because this is the state that you're going to be or mm-hmm. the affiliate that you're going to be affiliated with, and we automatically then transition them. Has that been more effective? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, because they become an instant member, right. and then now it's not recruiting them as members, retaining them. Right. And so they have from graduation day to the end of the calendar year to make some sort of commitment. So it buys us time. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it also gives the affiliate a chance to reach out to them with yes. their contact information. Yes. Exactly. So we send yeah. them that information. These are, and we say these are your new members. Reach yeah. out to them, engage them, because right now it's about retention as opposed to recruiting. Have most of the states been really good about that, or you yes. have to really browbeat some of them to do it? Um, you know, it, it, uh, for the most part, yes. But you know, uh, uh, affiliates. Our associations are inundated with challenges. Yeah, you know whether it be a meeting that they're putting on, and that might sidetrack their efforts and membership, or maybe they're running a bill, you know, an advocacy, and so all their efforts are on that. Um, some of them um, are small; they're one or yeah. two people. Yeah. So all their energies are towards whatever fire that they have to put out. Um, but you know, again, I think that's what AOA is there for. If that, if we know that, then we will help them. We yeah. will make sure that they're reached out to. We'll send them an additional email, or we'll we'll do something on their behalf. And I think they've appreciated. Yeah. Well, then what's so then now? Once you are running for board of trustees, mm-hmm. you can't be chair anymore. No. So yeah. So you spent seven years as the as the membership chair. Yeah, since 2012. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so. The chances are, uh, well, I mean, so do you get to still serve on the committee and be involved in the committee or you just have to step away? Uh, No. Uh, So if you're a chair of either a center or a committee, it's protocol um, that you you step down 60 days before the vote. Okay. Um, Now, as it turns out, um, the volunteer um, tenure is now calendar year. Okay. And so um, I had talked and chatted with them. What, what, what is in the best interest of, not me, right. but of, of, the, of the, the AOA, of the, yep. AOA, the, of the campaign, of all the other stuff that we're doing. And so um, it was suggested to me that maybe that calendar year would be appropriate and then they can name another chair to take my place. And so that's really where we're going to be headed. Yeah. Um, I can be renamed to that committee as a general member yep. or another committee. Um, or no committee at all. It's right. really at the discretion of, you know, the president. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. then, okay, well, one of the, you know, one of the interesting questions I think that would, um, is in membership, I think you have a, a general um, pulse on the culture with what, what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody wants to know what, what students want, what young doctors want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's a broad brush, mm-hmm. but what do you think, how do you think what um, what decisions are being made by young doctors mm-hmm. just out of school? Mm-hmm. How is the culture now impacting that compared mm-hmm. to say 10 years ago or mm-hmm. 20 years mm-hmm. ago or 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. What would you, what do you think is different about that? Well, I think first of all, um, and I think this was true, actually, even 15 to 20 years ago, the vast majority are employed. 
you mm. know, the coming out as an as a, to to be an employee. When you say vast majority, like percentage, what do you think? What, what do you think, think that is? I think 80 percent. Okay, are employed. Are employed. By, now, okay, now it could be could in a be practice. Any, yeah, but you know, it could be a corporate affiliated practice too. Okay. Um, but it is clearly their employees. They're not going to be practice owners from you know, from day one. But does, it mean, that's, does that still mean that there's 30% that are going to be practice owners from day one? Well, maybe not. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> there could be something else like it, academia yeah, yeah, or... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the vast majority are going to be employed in some way. Now, I think the difference is who their employers yes. are. You, you know? think that's different now than oh, it was? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So t- talk about that. So it's corporate affiliated, I think, in, in many ways. And I think in many ways it's because, number one, the person coming out of school wants a job. They want to you know, start paying their yep. bills and, you know, they're coming out with record debt, so they need to pay their, their loans back. I think also, again, as we're kind of going back to the fact that it's um, kind of a, a, a turbulent time those first five years. Yeah. You know, again, the dust is, is, it hasn't settled yet. Um, they're not quite sure if they're going to be staying there. So I think what ends up happening is that they want something that's fairly easy to get out of. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they just want a certain number of, of hours. And if they leave, then maybe they're going to be moving across country. You know, you don't, they, yeah. you don't know. Um, and they don't know. So they don't want something heavy on the commitment side either. Um, and, you know, I think part of it is they want to get paid fairly well. You know, they want to have... Uh, income stream coming in right away where they are able to pay their their bills and in many cases when you join a private practice maybe the pay isn't quite at the same level as maybe in a corporate affiliate yeah. practices yeah you know so i think it's a lot of those things um until people figure it out um and sometimes people figure it out and a corporate affiliated practice is is what's great for them yeah because of hours or because of the ease or because of the work condition. I think we have certain, you know, certain um, um, things that we think about that are not right, that we stereotype, um, but many of the corporate affiliated practices do embrace the medical model. Right. Um, And there are some private practices that don't. So, you know, you can't generalize all the time. Um, but I think people just want easy, and I think that's um, kind of an easy way to start off. Mm. And then um, um, I think that definitely is what's changed over the years. Do you think so? I would. It would be hard to disconnect the fact that student debt has increased. Right. And so there's this common perception in social media that the AOA can do something about social the the student debt. And um, so talk to me about, I mean, student debt is an, an issue, whether it's optometry or, or anything. Mm-hmm. It's probably not a, that, that's probably not a good excuse to maybe not consider it. But is there any way that, that we can help people manage that debt? Or, uh, I mean, what do you think as far as like, not, not necessarily like limiting, I mean, I, I, don't, I know you can't limit what ASCO schools are going to charge for their, mm-hmm. you know, but, but like, what should we be doing as an organization that will help students understand their debt, mi- dimini- you know, minimize their debt, those sorts of things? Any ideas? Well, that's actually a very uh, timely comment, and that is we just had a student program mm, yeah. here at the Great Western Council of Optometry, and that was uh, one of the pop-up sessions was on debt management and how you can pay off your loans faster or how you can strategize and not taking the full amount that you're approved for 
and then take that trip to Mexico, right. you know, as part of that. So, you know, it's all those things that are elements in being able to control control what you're taking out on the first place, but also how you can maybe pay it off a little bit faster. You know, I think it's, again, complex. And the reason is, is because of the fact that when you get out of school, and if it wasn't for advocacy efforts, for instance, and I'm not only talking yeah. about advocacy as far as scope of practice, but advocacy with third-party payers right. as well, that if we're not being paid fairly and if there's not parity and if we can't be on insurance panels, both in the medical and the vision side, we're not going to be able to generate income. And all of those things are elements involved in what you get paid as an employee because right. Right. you're worth what you're bringing in. Um, just purely on the yep, business side right. of things. Um, and those advocacy efforts definitely help with that. The other thing that it helps is that um, you're going to be at a higher level within the health delivery system if you have a higher scope of practice. Right. So you're going to be more valued. Right. And then if you're in a multidisciplinary practice setting, for instance, that's going to mean more money, I mean, more, more income. Right. So those are the things, I think, from just the foundational part that AOA helps. Right. Um, from the benefit standpoint, there are also ways, not only in what we did today in the student program here in Portland, but also just in terms of debt consolidation. Um, there are um, programs at the AOA and the affiliates yeah. also have, in order to consolidate that debt, um, decrease the percentage rate. Um, be able to help along along those lines. So I think it's both of those things. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, I, I was having a conversation this morning when uh, at the AOA Plus event, mm -hmm. uh, and there were, you know, there were really two perspectives. One from, um, from a, you know, an, another optometrist. Well, there's three optometrists at the table. There were four students at the table. And, um, and two of the optometrists, and I was one of them, were sort of Dave Ramsey type of people. Yeah. We got out of school. We just... You know, I, I had a hundred thousand dollars of student loans. We were able to pay it off in about two and a half years, right, right. and just you know went after it. And then uh, this this other uh, woman that was sitting next to me, she had graduated in two thousand fifteen, and she said that she had paid off in four years. She was down from two eighty down to a hundred thousand. I was like, holy cow, that's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, she just yeah. did, she just did a great job. Yeah. Well, then there was you know the the thing that I realized is that like not every I mean. Not everybody sees things the way I see them, right? I'm a Dave. I want to do a Dave Ramsey way. That's what makes me feel good, right? But then there was another. There was a student there, and, and her, you know, I, when she was telling me about some of the numbers, she I was like, "Holy cow!" Like she, she you know, she's gonna get a five hundred thousand dollar loan so she can put an office up in Seattle or around Seattle, and she's in her fourth year, and she's gonna have, uh, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt, and, um, and I'm just thinking. You know, and she's planning on, okay, well, you know, when you don't make anything on your payback, it's, the, you know, these sliding scales. And so we'll pay $500 a month. And um, and I'm just thinking, oh, man, that just seems like crazy to me. Scary, yeah. yeah, but but at the same time, um, you know, if it's part of a long, if it's actually part of a plan, if you're planning for it, probably is okay. I mean, businesses do that all the time. I mean, look at, look at Uber and Amazon. I don't think those companies have turned a profit, mm -hmm. but they basically are growing market share mm -hmm. and I mean, whether that's good or not, but, but the point is, is that there's different business models that can work. And, um, and I think that's what, that's what, that's kind of the message, right? Like, like Chris will feel strongly about his way, mm -hmm. but there's other people that feel strongly about their way and it can, you can make it work right. for that day. Right. right. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, 
yeah, so that that was really interesting. I thought when I when I thought about that, and um, and then the. You know, when I'm up here, I feel like I feel like you've got a, a pretty good, um, a pretty good like handle still on the students. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? Well, you know, they're our future. Yeah. And that is really an emphasis in what we're doing. Um, we are doing the recruitment campaign, which is those new graduates again for one to 10 years out. But we are also putting in almost an equal amount of effort in AOA Plus. Yeah. And AOA Plus is a, um, a, a series of programs and efforts to really reach out and to engage um, students and new members. Yeah. Um, students especially, um, because again, they are going to be our future colleagues. And so if you can get them from day one, uh, um, the AOA message and how important organized optometry is and you know, how we're better together, um, they're going to be retaining their membership and they're going to continue as membership members. Um, our studies show, um, since we've been doing AOA+, Plus, and if they've graduated, we retain 84% of wow. them, which is pretty significant. Um, back when we, before we auto-transitioned them, we were transitioning 50%. Wow. So if we can engage them in some way yeah. in AOA Plus Leadership Link or any of the AOA Plus pop-up programs or attending advocacy events or um, like AOA on Capitol Hill or even coming to optometry's meeting or, or come to the state affiliate meeting, um, you know, they're going to be retained at a much higher level because they get it. They, 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 they they get energized by organized optometry's efforts, but also they get the message yeah. of why we're here, and that's to advocate and fight not only on their behalf, honestly, but also on their patients' right. behalf too. Right. Mm-hmm. Last thing, so because um, I want to be respectful of your time, and I told you we would be in a specific time period, but you know, you brought up the the point about um, third party issues, and I was right on my way leaving the conference center uh, to come back here. Um, Ron Seeger from California stopped me and um, super nice guy. And he, so we were just chatting on the way out, you know him. Yeah. And he, um, and he said, you know, the biggest issue they're having right now in California is just reimbursements. So they've got Medi-Cal that's, you know, reimbursing something like 35 bucks for an exam and you know how to, and I, you know, I don't know what the answer is to that. I told him, you know, what I said is I think, I think that's, you're just reaping the, the, the outcomes of, a large welfare, you know, safety net state. And, um, and, and it's horrible, but I don't know what the answer is to that. If you're going to continue down that road and I don't know how you advocate as a profession without being a large, like independent physician association or something like that legally or individually doctors decide, you know, not collectively, right. That's not what I'm advocating for, but individually they decide I can't do this anymore. And that, I think, is the only way to move that needle. What what, what do you see in, in Washington as far as that stuff is concerned? Well, we're, we're lucky that we have a non-discrimination law in the state of Washington. We, have, we get paid the same amount of money as an ophthalmologist, as well as the fact that we have to be included on health care mm. plans um, if it's within our scope of practice. Yep. So if an ophthalmologist is on a plan, we have to have equal access to being a provider on that plan. 
Now, it helps that we had a um, pretty strong um, uh, advocacy effort with our forefathers. This has been yeah, in, yeah. in place for 40 yep. years. Um, and also interpreting it, too, we're lucky because our insurance commissioner is a member and is mm. an optometrist, yeah. is Mike Kreidler. And so he interprets laws um, as it pertains to um, insurances in the state of Washington. And also um, when, um, um, when Obamacare was um, implemented, he also interpreted what it meant, for instance, mm. the uh, children's vision benefit, right. and he um, interpreted it as a comprehensive full eye examination. So it does help to have people in certain places. Um, so we're blessed, you know, in Washington to have a high reimbursement rate. Um, you know, what I'm convinced, I own a practice yep. um, with a pediatric ophthalmologist, and that is um, you certainly have to provide basic examinations, but also that uh, that that full scope medical care. Yeah. You know, I think it's an important ingredient. Yeah. Um, it's it's part of honestly our obligation to our patients, our community to do it, because it provides timely and accessible care that they may not receive otherwise. They may have to wait to see another type of provider, uh, but it's our obligation to do it. Um, we're trained well. Um, we're experienced. Um, it I think will help the bottom line in many practices is to provide progressive medical eye care yeah yeah i yeah i couldn't say it any better curtis ono thanks for coming on i appreciate you, it chris i really appreciate the opportunity yeah you're welcome Thank you.